Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Gordon. And today, how would you like to find out what are the behaviors that transform ordinary people into world-class leaders? Well, that's the topic today as we dive into the new book, The CEO Next Door. And we're talking to one of the co-authors of the book, Elena Batello. Elena, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Thank you for having me. So, you know, what's so interesting, and, and we've had so many great guests uh, on, on the podcast, sometimes a book is, is an idea that's been fleshed out, an idea. Sometimes those ideas are very groundbreaking. Um, sometimes it's based around a model. What is so cool about, about the content of, of The CEO Next Door is this was a painstakingly, this was a, a quite a study. You looked at at, at nearly 3,000 leaders to really look and find out what are the very core behaviors that uh, that can make somebody a better leader. What brought you to this topic? Yeah, well, painstaking was a good word, Chad. <laughs> We've had a team working incredibly hard for over 10 years. Um Well, what brought me here is probably two things. So uh, I come from a family of mathematicians. So whenever I hear an idea, my natural instinct is to actually look at the facts. And so there's so much conversation about CEOs. There's so much in the spotlight. And yet, as part of my role at the firm, GH Smart, where I'm a partner, we're called by boards and investors often to advise them on who should become the next CEO or we're called in by CEOs to help them become more successful. And time and again and time and again in my experience, I found that the lore out there actually just didn't match up to the facts. And I found that it was incredibly costly. And so that's when my, <laughs> I suppose my heritage kicked in, right? Being a good Russian, uh, math is one of the things we kind of hold on to. And so I thought, well, you know, it's interesting that even people who really should know what makes somebody so successful um, to get to the top really are guided more by stereotypes and gut feel. And so what if we introduced some facts and data and brought that to the table? And so that was the inspira- the initial inspiration for the book. Uh, and then since then, actually, now that the book is in the world, we actually found that the impact it's had is much, much bigger than that. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier, and it, it, this is not a this is not a, a starter set to, to, to for future CEOs. This is not just for people that want to lead an organization in that capacity. And, and I, I want to hear, why was it so important for you to say for ordinary people? This is truly about anybody that wants to pick up this book to understand how they can achieve more. Absolutely. You know... <laughs> I, so I came to this country, it sounds, it's probably going to sound funny, but I came to this country because of the proverbial American dream of this being a land of opportunity. 
And the only way people have opportunities is if they have access to information, right? And so with this book, what we've aspired to do is bring every single person who cares to spend, you know, a few bucks on a book, right, on on a download, essentially behind the scenes on the kind of work and the kind of career advice and the kind of research that up until now has only been available in the boardroom. And so I was really excited about this notion of being able to kind of bust those doors open um, and provide access to the to the insights that can help anybody be successful and can help anyone learn from the most successful people in business. So you take this approach in a way that is very easy to digest. And I always like to say thank you for that to the authors because I like easy to digest models. And the acronym acronym you use is DARE. And we're going to kind of walk, let's dig right into that piece right now. So you talk about one of the very most important steps and one of the key findings you, you had in your study is that people need to be more decisive. Absolutely. Yeah, so when we embarked on this study uh, and crunching from through these 2,600 uh, leaders and, and looking and interviewing many others, uh, we didn't seek to prove or disprove any hypotheses. So what we didn't do, um, objectivity was very important to us. So we didn't embark on this saying, well, we think successful leaders look like this. What we did instead is we partnered with leading academics at the University of Chicago, at SAS Institute, and folks who are just real experts and fully objective in their data analysis. And we had them crunch through our data time and again using multitude of research methods to tell us what pops out of the data. And so that's where those four behaviors came from. And yeah, we found four is a hard, hard set to remember, so dare is a way to do that. And decisiveness was right at the top. So both in the data we looked at, in our client experience, and in follow-up conversations, decisiveness stood out. And the surprise for us was that, you know, when we all think about what makes a successful CEO or uh, those folks who lead so well, I think it's tempting to assume that they just have a better crystal ball, that somehow they have this uncanny ability to make the right decision more often than the rest of us, and that it's really... Those who get to the top are just right more often than, than a kind of an average person. What surprised us as we looked at the data up close and personal is that what really made the successful CEOs stand out wasn't necessarily the accuracy of their decision making. It was the speed and it was the willingness and the desire to actually be counted and actually make a decision. It's taking ownership and being willing to take a stand and make a call even amidst ambiguity, even in the, under pressure. And so the insight there was really interesting in that it's not about accuracy. It's actually about being willing to make a call, which, you know, I think is pretty readily applicable to all of our lives, I imagine. You know, and, and what I found really interesting about that is, is you, you, you shared that, it, and you just mentioned it there, it doesn't have to be the right call always. You, you can make mistakes. But one of the points that I, I read and I underlined, perfectionism is not your friend. And, and so how many people out there are, are holding themselves back because they're waiting for the perfect moment or they're waiting for the perfect idea versus just going with their, their instinct initially. So you're basically saying it doesn't have to be perfect. You have to get out there though. Exactly. Yeah. Perfectionism is a dangerous thing. It's one of those things that, and you know, as your uh, listeners listen to this, um, to, to this podcast, you know, I think all of us at different stages in our career get this feedback at times that we're inclined to disregard because it, it kind of sounds innocuous and there's almost, it, there's almost a little bit of a badge of honor to it. And perfectionist is, perfectionism is one of those. 
And it's actually really dangerous because it's pretty hard to be a successful leader if you're a perfectionist. Um, and so, yes, so willingness to make mistakes and then actively learning from them um, to continue to iterate and just improve your pattern recognition, improve your judgment, improve your ability to make decisions uh, is really what's more important here. So let's talk about that a little bit more because that intrigues me. You talk about make decisions faster. We've talked about that. Make fewer decisions. You touched on that just a little bit, but you talk about putting in place practices to get better at decision making every time. So how do you develop that cadence? How do you develop this skill set to make um, to get better at decision making? Yeah, we find that... Uh, the successful leaders we work with are really avid learners. And so they're very, very, I mean, the first thing is it's really hard to learn from your experience if you don't really pay attention to it. And so they examine consciously or unconsciously, they're constantly iterating in their mind around things that worked and things that didn't work. And they really proactively learn from both. Um, There's one of the stories in the book is really, uh, you know, was staggering to us when we heard it. Uh, when you think about being under pressure, you know, one of those big kind of hot red moments for many CEOs is the first year of being appointed CEO. And we share the story of Andy Silvernail, who is a very successful CEO of IDEX. It's an industrial company uh, that's outperformed every possible market index. And anyone looking at Andy now will think that he's just a hallmark or a wildly successful CEO. But if you looked at him in the first few months when he stepped into the role, you wouldn't have thought that at all because his tenure as a CEO started with a big blow up, right? And for Andy to be willing to look the facts in the face and instead of trying to play safe and apologize to him or kind of be embarrassed by it, he did apologize, importantly, but instead of being embarrassed by it and and kind of trying to hide from the facts uh, and try to kind of keep a good face on a bad game, he actually went right at it. It was a, a very costly merger that didn't play out. He was he advocated a merger. It cost the company several hundred million dollars. And so in the midst of all this heat, Andy's first priority was, how do we learn? How do we make sure that our shareholders know they can count on us? And how do I protect my team? Right. And so those are the kinds of behaviors that allow you to be objective and continue to learn. One of the data points, by the way, that, that was interesting to us that cuts across these four behaviors is this willingness to learn from mistakes and this whole mindset around mistakes is if you down the road might be curious or your listeners might be curious, well, gee, how do I raise my game on this behavior or that behavior? I tell you that one of the biggest things that cuts across the board is willingness to make mistakes and then willingness to look them straight in the, in the face and, and learn from it. Uh, so we found out that 45% of CEOs actually had huge blow up similar to Andy's, right? Not just a small mistake or a hiccup in the job, but really something that at the time may have felt career ending. And, you know, most of them went on to become successful nevertheless. And what we, when we looked at it closely, we learned that it wasn't so much the nature of the mistake itself that made the difference between future success and failure. It was much more about how the individual and the organization handled it. And so if you make yourself a, a learning machine, both from your wins and your mistakes, um, I guarantee you, you'll improve on all four of these behaviors. I love that, and and what you what you you called out a quote that I it's one of my favorite ones, and it resonates with me. It's Reed Hoffman, uh, the founder of LinkedIn. He t- he says, if you aren't embarrassed by the first version of your product, you ship too late. So it's just talking about moving forward. You know, if you make a mistake, if uh, if you, if 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 it, it's not going like it's supposed to, it's okay. It's about getting yourself out. So let's shift to the next. 
you know, what is prevalent, no matter who you are listening to this podcast right now, it's inevitable you're dealing with change. And what you share is if you want to become an extraordinary leader, a world-class leader, you have to be able to ride the changing tides and, and as you, as you call it, adapting boldly. Absolutely. Well, and re- I love Reid Hoffman quote as well. Uh, it's one of my favorites. And it's just the perfect segue into adapting, right? Is that if you wait until it's perfect, the industry will have passed you by and the world would have passed you by. Um, of the four behaviors, the one that gets the most conversation these days is the behavior of adapting. And today, by the way, is like, what a great time to be talking about adapting, right? So yesterday, GE, General Electric, uh, was dropped from Dow Industrials, right? And so Dow Industrials is a very well-known market index, right? Many companies measure their performance against it. And GE was one the only last one of the original companies still in the index that was still left there. And I think in many ways was regarded as an iconic company that just, you know, is always going to be successful or at a minimum always going to be really important. And so, you know, boy, if, you know, if that doesn't ring at home for you, the need to adapt, right? When, when the, the former legends and the former icons are no longer relevant to the same degree, right? Uh, I think, you know, I think it's a real wake up call for all of us. And I think no matter whether you're a CEO or if you just, you know, you want to be uh, a great parent or if you want to be a great community leader or wherever you are in your career, the one thing that we all know, I don't know who said that one thing is for sure, right? That death and taxes. Well, the third thing is that change, right? And the need to adapt to change. And so that's why adaptability um, didn't surprise us as a behavior, um, as a behavior that rose to the top. It's really increasingly critical. I'll tell you an interesting thing about adaptability. Um, a couple of things that we learned that were that surprised us. First of all, of the four behaviors. The one where humans are most likely to underestimate their abilities is adapt. And it's actually really costly. This kind of uh, lack of confidence around adapting is really costly because because we we assume that adapting and changing is going to be so incredibly painful. We resist it with all our might. And so the interesting, fascinating thing we found when we looked at leaders who are master adapters, we thought that somehow they just know where the where the puck is going before the ball. It's just uh, a World Cup week, right? Um, where the ball is headed before anyone else does, right? And you always know these people, they talk to you and they say, oh gosh, yeah, in, in 2000, I knew the market would crash in 2001, or they always seem to know ahead of time. Well, interestingly, when we looked at who actually adapts, both when you look at companies that adapt, like look at you know Netflix, for example, as a good example, uh, or individuals, just people around us who adapt well, you know what they're really, really good at? It's actually letting go of the past. They're better than average person at letting go of the past behaviors, past habits, past commitments that worked for them up until now, but actually will not serve them in the future. And this is where kind of this is where the best are separated from the rest is how long are you going to be holding on to something just because it's comfortable as opposed to pushing yourself to really um to really adapt boldly. And and I just mentioned before, you guys, uh, it, it calls to mind uh, the famous Dr. Phil. How's that working for you, right? When you keep on doing the same things over and over yeah. again. I know you didn't call that out in the book. Uh, so we've, we've gone from Reed Hoffman to Dr. Phil. So we're covering a lot of ground here. <laughs> exactly. Well, you can throw in that boiling frog, yeah. right? We all like to talk about the boiling frog syndrome. That's a typical kind of average human normal reaction to change. 
And, and the frog that jumps out of there well before everyone else has abandoned a very comfortable environment, but to survive and thrive in the next, you know, in the next day. Absolutely. So, you know, the next thing that we want to talk about is, is what you call uh, the, the third step or the third uh, uh, behavior, which is relentless reliability. So when you talk about relentless reliability, are you talking, is that just showing up each day? Is that, is that answering the emails you're supposed to answer? Is that um, just pure excellence. How do you define reliability as it applied to this this study? So here's the crazy thing about reliability. Decisiveness, we got. Adaptability, we got. When those popped out of the data, we thought, yes, absolutely, that really resonates. We saw reliability and we thought, well, gosh, really? Let's double check our analysis because reliability just sounds so pedestrian, right? Reliability doesn't sound like a sexy, sophisticated, high-end, fancy skill, right? That the right. person at the top would, would really differentiate themselves on. Because remember, what's really special about these four behaviors, right? Because there are a ton of studies out there about how you be a successful leader. If you kind of lined up all the laundry lists out there, you'd be a million things you need to look at, right? What's really special about these behaviors is that they're statistically demonstrated to actually be associated with higher likelihood of success, of higher likelihood of actually performing well. And so we were kind of stumped when we saw reliability because it just sounded too simple. And so reliability turns out to be one of those simple but not easy skills. And the fascinating thing about it is that of the four behaviors, it was actually the only one that both dramatically improved your likelihood of succeeding in the role and also doubled your chances of getting hired. So it's a double whammy and it gets better. So we, <laughs> um, we've been asked a lot about, well, it's great. You know, I read the book. It's fantastic, but I really want to know how I stack up, right? Because a lot of ambitious folks out there, we all want to know how we measure up. And so uh, responding to that, we put together an online test. It's a very easy, simple self-assessment. And so we had over... 14,000 people at this point, I think, take that self-assessment. Of the four behaviors across the 14,000 people that took that online self-assessment, what would be your guess? Which behavior was lowest rated? Which behavior did people have the least capability in on average? What? Unless you're unless you're setting me up, I'm assuming it's it's about it's about uh, the reliability, and that is interesting. That that would be the one of the four. Isn't that crazy? So you have the behavior that sounds so simple, and yet it's the one that people are least consistently competent in. Um, and so, so I would say, you know, if someone is listening to this podcast and wondering, well, gosh, you know, I don't have time for the self assessment and all that. Uh, and the book is curious, so maybe I'll read it, maybe not. But I want to know which I should work on first. I would say you can hardly go wrong by, by focusing on relentless reliability as your top priority. And, and that does make a lot of sense. I mean, doing what you say you're going to do and and uh, and being being overall reliable and showing up is going to um, improve your relationships and uh, the workplace. It's going to get people to believe in you. It's it's you're uh, you're going to be a more you're going to be a leader that people are going to want to uh, trust more as well because trust is very important as it applies to reliability. Exactly. Exactly. And if you'd like one tip, one surprising tip, we're kind of on a roll here with surprising tips for each behavior. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy to offer one for reliability. Go for it. In addition to what you already alluded to, which is just consistency of good habits, right? Of being on time, doing what you say and, and saying what you do. Um, what we noticed also, which, so those are critically important and that's a place to start. We also noticed that highly reliable, relentlessly reliable leaders are very thoughtful about setting the right expectations up front to begin with. 
Um, and we've worked with leaders who actually were otherwise very talented, but who, when given a new opportunity, given a new role, were so eager to show that, the, you know, that the, their boss made the right choice and that they were deserving of the opportunity that they didn't pause and say, huh, let's just be all be clear what I'm walking into to begin with and, and what's actually a reasonable set of expectations. And, and unfortunately, often you see those folks fail. And so it's important, it's critical to deliver, and it's really important to align on the, on the right set of expectations up front. And then we've got lots of other um, tactics and examples in the book, of course. And that really does resonate with me, especially. It's, it's like it's set the, uh, set the, the tone, um, share what to be expected and what to be expected of, of myself and, and what I expect of other people and then hold people to that standard and also follow through with that. So I like that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more and there's a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization, go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. And they have a special offer right now. Send an email to podcast at KenBlanchard.com with leader chat in the subject line. Now through the end of summer of 2018, one grand prize winner chosen randomly will receive a free one-on-one one call with Ken Blanchard. Five others will receive a signed copy of Ken's latest book, Servant Leadership in Action. So we're talking to Elena Botella, um, the co-author of The CEO Next Door. And so far we've talked about uh, there are four uh, key behaviors. We've talked about decisiveness. We've talked about adapting boldly. We've talked about relentless reliability. There's a fourth one we're going to talk about in just a second, but I need to ask, I just have to dig into something that so interests me. Um, Your research showed that people need to stop being so nice. What do you mean by that? What do you mean stop being so nice? Isn't that crazy? Well, yeah. it's actually slightly more complicated than that, right? Um, if you're just if your goal is just to get a job, actually being a nice, likable person really helps. Frankly, it helps more than it should, right? So um, it helps you on the way in. Then, unfortunately, when it comes to performing well in the job, uh, we, we talk about this niceness bell curve in the book, and we even have a nice picture for it, right? Where... If you, the moment you're an outlier on either side of it, so you're either too nice or you're not nice enough, you're in trouble. And so while the nice um, folks are more likely to get hired, unless they actually are willing and able to make tough decisions, and if unless they build followership and get others to follow them by positioning the team to win, not by trying to be liked, um, so unless they're able to do that, then there's a high degree of um, failure, right? And so, yes, yeah, so being nice is, uh, I guess, a good thing for getting the job. And then you have to be careful uh, that in addition to being nice, you're actually um, effective making tough calls and engaging uh, in, in different ways to, to get the results. So you're not advocating to be a big jerk. You're not advocating to be not nice. But what you're saying is there are times to be nice. There's times to be pleasant. But when you have to make the tough call, you've got to make the tough call and people are going to respect that in a leader. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, the only sustainable reason people should want to follow you is because you will lead the team to a win. Not because you'll be liked as a leader, right? And so it's actually in a way, you know, Folks who are careful about not upsetting the apple cart often it's more about them being liked than it is about moving the ball forward. And at the end of the day, long term, right, a team that doesn't win, you know, feeling feeling good about each other doesn't last very long. And so it's exactly what you said. So the the leaders who are able to build followership 
are willing to make the tough calls because those calls are needed for the team to win. Okay, moving to the the fourth behavior. Now, whether you're a manager, whether you're you're leading a division, whether you're a CEO, no matter where you are from a leadership perspective, everybody needs one thing. Typically, they need results. And so your last behavior really focuses on the impact that a leader can make. So what do you mean when you talk about engage for impact? So it's exactly that, Chad. I think you've picked the concept really well, which is, it's the leaders who ultimately lead for the benefit of the company. It's they lead in order to deliver strong results, as opposed to for them to be liked, as opposed to for for anything else, right? Or for uh, protecting necessarily the feelings of everyone else. Um, One of the CEOs we interviewed had a great way of framing it. Um, Tom Monahan, who was a former CEO of Corporate Executive Board uh, here in D.C., Tom said, yeah, look, you know, as a CEO, you're operating with a set of stakeholders. You've got customers, you've got employees, you've got your shareholders. And basically your job is to keep all of them constructively dissatisfied so that you could do the right thing for the business, but not get fired in the process. And what struck me is the way he put it, which is he didn't say your job is to please them, but still move the business forward. He literally led, led with your job is to keep each of the stakeholder groups constructively dissatisfied and uncomfortable so that you can do the right thing for the enterprise, but do it in a way that also doesn't get you fired, right? Because obviously, you know, if you take it to extreme, employees, uh, you know, when, when taken to extreme, right, want to get paid as much as possible and not necessarily uh, deliver the hardest work. Customers want to get everything for free and the shareholders want you to pay it all out in dividends today and maximize the near-term stock price. But then ultimately, if you believe that for all three groups to be really successful long term, you actually need to make good choices, then none of those extremes, right, would be good choices. So I'm simplifying it a little bit, but that's that's the way you uh, frame the concept is exactly spot on. Okay, and so so again, it it is about results. It's about uh, uh, serving serving everyone, and that that is an area where it it kind of can can separate the good from the bad or the people that are able to serve those those larger roles. So one of the other areas that you focused on was um as we we walked through the four behaviors is is some some little, you know, ideas and prompts to help people kind of move forward. So you talk about fast tracking your future. So what are those three steps? How would somebody go about really being more focused on getting a handle on what they want and how to make that come to fruition. Yeah, so we anticipated that, you know, some of the folks reading this book and listening to these conversations might be fairly ambitious, right? And so uh, we've laid out the four behaviors that are statistically proven to lead to greater success. But we thought, well, you know, what if you want to move there faster? Because we all know, right, pound for pound of capabilities, some folks just seem to advance in their career ladder faster than others. And so we really peeled the onion and looked at the uh, kind of top cohort of CEOs that not only got the brass ring, so to speak, but actually got there faster than average. So on average, it takes about 24 years from the first job to the top. And so these these are the folks look, um, that got to the top faster. And then we looked at the career choices that they made. And frankly, we were a little nervous that things we'll find will be kind of very predictable, but hard for many of us to ac- access or affect, like things like elite MBA programs or Working at a marquee company, obviously, if you're starting out, uh, you know, at a great company with great pedigree, it for sure helps, etc. And but then when we cr- when we crunched through the data, what we found was really interesting. So, in fact, right, about a quarter of those who got to the top faster really did have elite MBAs, right? So, no surprise there. Um, that was for about a quarter of them. Ninety-seven percent of them, so virtually all of them, ninety-seven percent 
made career choices of one of these three kinds that we uncovered that we called career catapults, because these are the kinds of career choices that have the power to catapult you to the top way faster and more powerfully than kind of the usual lockstep process might. Um, And so those are the three catapults that we talk about in the book. And so one of them, for example, I might share. uh, So 97% of the folks undertook at least one of these catapults. The most common one uh, that 60% undertook was, we called it go small to go big, right? What does that look like? Well, it looks like if I'm in a typical corporate environment, every next step of the way is all about managing more people, getting a bigger PL, getting a bigger group. And all of a sudden you see some talented folks who are really on a strong path already going to a smaller company or going and taking on a division uh, that's just building. And so they have no employees. And so you see things that at the moment may look like sidesteps. And often you hear them talk about the individuals who took those steps. You hear them saying, yeah, you know, that was not an easy decision. I really had to think about it. I consulted my mentors because it was not a straight uh, forward kind of path to the top here. And, you know, at the time they may have not known that it would lead them to the top. But then when you look at the whole entirety of their career with the advantage of this, of this research that we've done, you see that the individuals, 60% of those who got to the top faster took these moments of going small to go big. And the reason it helped them in their career is that it gave them more exposure. It gave them greater landscape, right? They became a bigger fish in a smaller pond uh, often. And so they could practice those four behaviors. They could develop them more quickly. They got responsibility above and beyond their kind of typical tenure. Um, And so as a result, longer term, they advanced faster. And so the cool thing about these catapults that got us excited is that unlike an elite pedigree that, you know, few people can, can afford or affect, right? You can actually make choices in your career that will put you on a better likelihood path of advancing faster to whatever your goal might be. It doesn't need to be the CEO role. Great information. We've, we've, we're just about out of time here. So I want to ask you, you know, what is the one thing that you want the listeners today? What do you want them to take away from your research and from our discussion? <laughs> I'll quote somebody at Wharton who read the book and said, you know, what I'm realizing is if you could read it, you can do it. <laughs> is that excellence is more achievable for many of us than we might assume. And so the, my one big admonishment is that while I know the book will help anyone, no matter where they want to be. I'll share one statistic. When we looked at CEOs, only 30% of them actually knew early on that their goal was to become a CEO. 70% of them never set that objective. And so whatever your destination is, Assume it's possible, and I hope that the CEO next door will help you get there. I appreciate that so much. You know, is, is, you know what Ken Blanchard really talks about is the simple truths, and and what you're saying is this shouldn't have to be elusive. You know, th- that's what our goal is of this podcast as well. Is we want people to take these ideas, run with them, and see that the future is 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 very bright. They just have to look up and start taking some steps forward. So thank you for shedding some more light on that with your research, Elena. I really appreciate your time to. Today. If people want to dig a little bit deeper into you and 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 learn more about um, your background and, and how they can get in touch with you, where do you recommend they go? The easiest place to go is ceonextdoorbook.com, ceonextdoorbook.com. So you can find my bio, a bit about the book, and uh, 
the self-assessment I mentioned earlier there as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Elena Batella. Thank you so much, the co-author of The CEO Next Door, The Four Behaviors That Transform Ordinary People into World-Class Leaders. Thank you so much for being on the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Thank you, Chad. It's my pleasure. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. Chad, I just loved your interview with Elena. You know, I've always thought that good theory is a simple truth organized. And I think it's great to show with this extensive research that Elena and her partner have come up with some simple truths. And I also love acronyms. And so they put it into a DARE acronym. And these simple truths are so powerful for you to think about in terms of your career. Even if you don't want to go to the top, it'll just help you be successful where you are. You think about being decisive. And what she's really saying is if you're being decisive, obviously you're going to have to make mistakes, you know, because some people don't want to make a decision. They want to make sure they got all the facts and all. No, you can't run an organization like that. You got to go. When you make a mistake, you got to be a learner. I always say when you stop learning, why don't you lie down and let them throw the dirt on you because you're dead already. You know, so decisive is important. The second one is really being adaptive, uh, you know, and because what change is happening. If you don't realize that the world is changing fast, then you better, you know, get go somewhere else, you know, and get off here because, you know, she said you got to adapt boldly because that's what it is. It's happening all the time. And companies that don't adapt boldly, they end up being like Kodak. And she even talked a little bit about, you know, GE having some problems and, and all. And so that's really an interesting thing. Uh, the R is to be uh, relentlessly reliable or, you know, relentless in your reliability, which means people got to know that you're there. They can count on you and all that kind of uh, thing. And uh, it's interesting what she tied in there a little bit is that, you know, when you're you're doing that, you're being reliable and all, you don't want to just be nice. She said, but you can get in trouble if you're too nice or you're not nice enough. And I've always thought, you know, a lot of people have the feeling that people heal, who feel good about themselves produce good results. Therefore, you ought to be nice to everybody because if they feel good, they'll produce good results. No, I have found from my work for many years is that people who produce good results feel good about themselves. And that's where the focus is. And that's why I love the last one. The E is to engage for impact, getting results. That's what's really a powerful thing for people. And so I just think that she's on to so much good stuff here that you ought to listen to this over and over again and share it with your people and and, and, and think about it for yourself. And I love where she says, you know, if you can read this, you can do it. You know, is it that uh, being excellent or being successful is possible? And, you know, one of our big things in our self-leadership program is uh, assume constraint, 
which is some people say, well, you know, you can't do that and all. Don't take those assumed constraints. You can be just as successful as you want. And I think if you think about what Helena's talked about, about, you know, being decisive uh, and reliable and adaptive and, you know, engaging, uh, you know, for results and, and, and impact, wow, you can be successful. So thanks, Chad. You continue to get great people. And Elena, you're the best. Thanks so much. Thank you.